Hello, people of Earth, and welcome back to Good Humans. Um, just a couple things before we get into today's episode. This is Josh, by the way. Uh, just a couple things before we get into today's episode um, that I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear. Uh, Joe Chura is my podcast guest today, um, CEO and founder of Dealer Inspire, um, which is a digital marketing agency, also happens to be the company I work for currently. Um, it was a really, really good conversation. Um, lots of good insight. Joe's a, a really, really smart guy um, and a very uh, caring and generous person as well. So I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this. But before we get into that, uh, I just wanted to remind everybody that Audible is sponsoring our podcast and they have an awesome deal for you guys. And I want to tell you about it. So um, they have generously offered for any of our listeners to set you up with a free 30-day trial of Audible, which is uh, a huge library of uh, audiobooks and other things. They even have Audible Originals now. Um, but it's really, really cool. Um, it's a great way to, to read a book on the go. Um, if you're busy, like most of us are, uh, you know, listening to it in 15, 20 minute increments in the car, things like that. Um, I have, uh, I think you can still call it reading a book uh, if you've consumed a book that way, but I've read probably four or five books. Um, this way. Uh, and it's really cool. Um, you definitely get, uh, it's a different experience, um, listening to an audiobook than, uh, just reading it. So, and often the books are written, uh, sorry, but often the books are read, um, by the authors themselves, which is cool, uh, little bonus. So, um, here's the deal. If you go to audibletrial.com slash good humans, you can get a free 30 day trial and a free audiobook just for signing up for the trial. Uh, there's no obligation. You don't have to keep your trial. And as a matter of fact, even if you cancel your trial before that 30 days is up, you still get to keep your book, which is awesome. Um, so it's a really, really good deal. I think you should go check it out. Uh, I just finished up a book recently called Bitten by a Camel by a guy named Kent Dobson. Um, and it was a really, really good book uh, about sort of rediscovering um, yourself uh, outside of uh, it, it had to do with religion and philosophy and um, how to, to rediscover yourself outside of, uh, sort of the boundaries, um, that we were handed, uh, when it comes to those things. And, um, really eye opening, a lot of great perspective is really good. So I, I definitely recommend that, but there's all kinds of other stuff on there too. So, uh, go check it out. Audibletrial.com slash good humans, uh, sign up, get your free book and tell me what you downloaded. I would love to hear what you guys are listening to. Uh, cause I'm always looking for good book suggestions. Um, and I think that's really the only thing I have to plug, uh, of course, go to the website and get your free sticker. If you haven't already, um, it's goodhumanspod.com. Uh, that's my cat pitching in his two cents. Um, and yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Hello, people of earth, and welcome back to good humans. My name is Josh, and this is a podcast about exploring better ways to be human, uh, I'm excited today because um, I have a guest with me, and uh, it's somebody that I admire, um, somebody that I don't know as well as I'd like to, but hopefully we can fix that today. Uh, Joe Chura, CEO uh, and founder of Dealer Inspire, the premier digital marketing agency in the Chicagoland area. And fellow human. And fellow human, also. Um, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. First, uh, first podcast recording on location. We're in Joe's office today, um, and uh, I'm, I'm really, really excited. Uh, I appreciate you making the time to do this. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and I, I feel like we're going to have a good conversation. So we're going to pick your brain a little bit. There's no like got you questions or anything in here. So sorry right if there are. We're not. We're not going to. Yeah. We're not going to throw anything out to the tabloids or anything. Okay. Um, so your secrets are safe. I think, uh, unless you know. I might throw you a curveball or something, but okay. um, speaking of tabloids, actually, I, I was going to ask this later, but we can ask, we can talk about this now. You recently won a dance competition, like you won a dance competition. Yes, I did. So I was asked to partake in an event called Dancing with the Celebrities. It was a fundraiser for the Community Career Center in Naperville, and uh, they considered me a local celebrity, believe it or not. They've done nine, this was the ninth one they've done. Um, and each year there's a winner that gets crowned for the judge's favorite, and there's the audience favorite as well. So sure, I was uh, very proud to say that I won both of those. I tied for the audience favorite with my new friend, Amber Sweeta. But for the, I, uh, I was able to win the judge's favorite, and uh, I have no idea how 
I won um, a dance competition, but I was practicing quite a bit uh, over the course of five months. I did like 70 plus practices and my mindset was I'm going to try and uh, the only way I'd have a shot at, at uh, competing against my, my fellow dancers by outworking them um, because they were naturally good dancers and I'm naturally not a good dancer. And, um, and I just had the idea for the, for the songs that, that, we, uh, that, that I used like right away and uh, just was practicing since day one toward that goal. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to a couple of things you said at the end. One, that uh, you're not a, a natural dancer, because neither am I. Um, and two, uh, that you felt like the only way you were going to win is if you outworked everybody else. Um, because, like, anytime I've interviewed for a job or, like, gone out for a sports team, that's been my idea. I'm not a natural talent at many things, but I know I can work hard at least. Um, so, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. What... I'm so curious. I've never taken a dance class in my life. Yeah. What is that like? You're the f Have you ever taken a dance class before this? No. Okay. No. So I, walking in for your first time, did you have to buy special shoes and things like eventually that? Eventually I did get dance shoes. Okay. And I was coming so much they gave me a dance jacket too. <laughs> All right. There's jackets. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, it was just like a warm-up jacket, but oh, um, I was intimidated. You know, you're walking into a place and you're dancing around in front of mirrors with people looking at you and... And yeah, it was definitely out of my comfort zone, but um, luckily it was right across the street at Arthur Murray. They have really good people there, um, super, super fun, very welcoming. And they know everyone that walks in there has the same feeling, right? Right. That I wasn't unique. And, uh, and you just have to let it go. And what I found is it, it was, believe it or not, very meditative. Uh, you just go there and um, for the most part, I didn't check my phone for, you know, 45 minutes and then I would take a break and then we, I would do another 45 minute session. I did that for a few times a week for five months. And uh, what I did find though is like there's a thing called like a state of flow mm. and it's really the idea behind that. It's not pushing yourself to the limit, but you push yourself just enough and it makes you want to come back and do it again. And I never... It never got to the point where it was like exhausted. It was just very consistent. Huh. And, uh, and it taught me just a, a lot about goal setting and, and going after something. Sure. Be very consistent to, to achieve something you never thought you could. And it just, you know, when you look at life and you look at really anything, it was a, it taught me that like you can, you can truly do anything if you want to and you put in enough time and, and work. I mean, having talent's great. You know, I mean, to, to be a talented dancer, dance would have been even mm -hmm. better. But, you know, you can achieve really cool things just by being very consistent and, and disciplined. Yeah. Have you read, um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, outliers? Yes. Where he talks yeah, about the 10,000 hour back. rule. Yep. I'm, I don't think that was 10,000 hours in five months, but did you find that like, so obviously day one, you're unfamiliar with everything, the process, yeah. the step you're learning a routine and everything. Where do you feel like you sort of, cause you play guitar too. Yeah. Um, and I do that as well. And there was, I, for me, I remember when I was playing guitar, there was a point, it felt like I sort of cr crossed a threshold where it was becoming more enjoyable than work. And I knew I was still practicing and getting better, but I, I sort of recognized at some point that I was much better than I was when I started. Yeah. And you don't, you don't always like mark that progress as you're going. It just sort of happens. Was there like a point where you feel like you got to where you were like, Oh, I'm actually, I'm working, but I'm also enjoying this. It's like, so I'll say that the first three to four weeks, I was like, I'm not going to get this. It was so fast and I just didn't feel good about it. And then after the 40th lesson, I knew the whole dance and I, I had the speed. I just didn't have the finesse yet. And then from that point on, 40 to 80, let's say, I really just fine-tuned what I knew. And that that's where the biggest change happened. So I would... I would it's very similar to like golf, right? Like you'd just right. point in a golf game where it's really harder to, to get a couple, to take a couple strokes off your game, but it's really easy to get from like really sucking at golf to like, okay. Mm -hmm. But then the difference between okay and excellent, is just a few strokes really, if you right. think about it. So it's, uh, it was, it was kind <laughs> of that where zero through 40, I was really bad. And then 40 on, I was getting it. So then as people would see me practice, they're like, wow, you're actually know what you're doing now. And, and, uh, it was, it was just an incredible experience and it, it just really related to a lot of other things. And I, and I did it just to get in that mind of like, Hey, I want to accomplish something. And sure. it was, uh, 
And plus it was, you know, it's a good workout. I was burning like five, 600 calories a session, which was yeah. pretty cool. You, um, do you feel like this is something like, did you enjoy it enough that you'll maybe take a dance class here and there? Or like, you know, do other related things? I think I would. I'd like to not take it by myself and have sure. my wife with me. Um, so I'm trying to get her to go so we can learn some like swing dancing together and things we could do at weddings that and sounds you know, really fun. things like that. But I'm not, I, I'll say that I'm not, I, today at least I don't have like a huge drive to learn like ballroom dancing, but sure. it's like country two step or swing dancing, like practical things you can do out. Absolutely. I think it's great. And I think, you know, if I could, if my wife would be uh, brave enough to do that with me, then <laughs> That'd be a lot of fun. Sounds like it'd be a cool, that's a cool couples thing. That, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. It, yeah. I think a lot of that, probably what you learned would translate to at least a little bit to other styles of dancing, I would assume. Oh yeah. Cause the, I did the dirty dancing dance. Yeah. So I recreated yeah. the kind of Patrick Swayze's part and in there is the mambo. So they're really doing a modified version of the mambo. So that, and then I started the dance with the swing dance. So both those definitely apply. I'm going to, um, I'm going to link, if you don't mind, I'm going to link, uh, when I post yeah. the episode, I'm going to link the video, um, and people can take a look. It was, it's pretty impressive. I was, I was impressed for sure. Thank you. Well, um, it's funny. Now I like walk in places around the area and they're like, I know you. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, what? So it's, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And they replayed it on, um, TV a bunch of times too on the local television yeah. station. So now you're a local dance celebrity as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's really awesome. I had I had planned to talk about that later, but it just I like I was really excited to hear your viewpoint. I've never I'm a terrible dancer. I've never taken a dance class, but I like I think like you said it does translate to a lot of other things. Um how how many so, like I said you play guitar as well. Yeah. Um I'm sure you have like you I I'm sure you golf uh also at least a little bit. I would Maybe. say this year would be the first year like I really started golfing okay. before that I would just go to like a few golf outings a year. Okay. And um, before this year, I only played 18 holes like once maybe or twice. Got it. Okay. How many – do you find that like – is it usually easy for you if you're consistent about putting in the work? Is it usually easy for you to pick something up? Not You know what I mean? Not easy. It's never easy. Like it's always hard work. But do you find you're usually able to pick things up Yeah, I think so. Well? I mean I, I think I'm – average to above average in terms of like just being able to learn a skill and and getting decent at it with practice golf is golf is a very crazy game as you know yeah. it's like you can practice all the time mm -hmm. and still not be good at it so that's one that i'm trying to to practice now but i don't i still don't have a ton of time for it so i'm trying to figure out okay when can i make time for this in the morning or, or later at night because you also have the family obligations after work and whatnot. yeah yeah but but yeah it's a it's a tough one that's, it's just, it's interesting to me when I talk to people that have either multiple hobbies or just pick something new up. Um, and then you won, you won the dance competition. How many other, how many there other people was, are you competing against? There was six others. There's supposed to be seven and someone dropped out at the last minute. So it was me against, uh, six others. They got scared. They, they saw you practicing. Well, I they, went last. So there was three different dance studios, uh, involved in this. So, um, one person saw me practicing um, and she actually was the one that, that tied with me for the audience favorite. She oh, did nice. a great job too. Nice. And, uh, and yeah, so the other studios had no idea. It was actually the way I positioned it is um, I looked at three movies that I really like old school being one of them. Mm -hmm. So that's the interpretive ribbon dance that Will Ferrell did in that movie. If you, if you recall yep. that, um, that's what I was leading everyone to believe I was going to do. Is this interpretive ribbon dance? I think I, I saw some to, posts a yeah, while ago. People were like, that. "What are you doing? Why yeah. do you have ribbons in your hand?" And then Swingers was was a favorite movie of mine when I was in my early twenties, um, and it, I just love that movie. In the very end, he ends up forgetting about his ex girlfriend and meeting a new girl by swing dancing. Mm -hmm. So I I <clears> wanted to reenact part of that scene. And then Dirty Dancing, obviously, I knew that would be a crowd favorite. Yeah. And for some reason, no one has ever done that before at this, oh, at that's this crazy. dance competition. So it's like, how has no one ever yeah. done that? So I just lucked out and that dance was one that no one has done before. And I practiced hard at it. And I knew if I could get the lift and do all the other things with it, that it would just be very iconic. Yeah. And it was. It was, it was yeah. pretty cool. Thank yeah. We'll, we'll link to it. I was, I was impressed yeah. for sure. It was a lot of fun. Um, so I usually do this at the beginning, but... Um, I'd like to just have you tell uh, the listeners 
just a little bit about yourself. I always say, tell us what we should know about you. Like if, you know, what you feel like people should know about you. So I would say that I was born on the South side of Chicago. I grew up, um, you know, in a, in an average home, I would say my parents got a divorce when I was in high school. I ended up moving in with my dad, living on a porch in Hegwish, Illinois, like on a futon. And, um, uh, that that led to uh, a really interesting high school. I was one of only a few friends that went to college. And then right when I started at Eastern Illinois, I found out I was going to be a father and uh, knew I needed a, a good job. So I started at the Chicago Assembly Plant building cars, the 1998 Ford Taurus. And I had... I was, uh, uh, you know, I just knew I needed a good job because I wanted to be a responsible father. I mean, that's really what it came down to. And I was sure. lucky enough at the time to get a job at Ford. So um, I knew nothing really about automobiles or the factory. I was very, very naive and young. And uh, I started there and it was incredibly difficult. You are, you live between bell to bell. You're building 72 cars an hour. You're literally a human robot. And the work those guys do, I commend them today and I didn't do it just for summer I did it for years mm-hmm. and while I was building these cars I would study and read textbooks on the line to uh, I enrolled in school um, and I it took me f- like three years to get my associate's degree and then after that period of time um, I enrolled at St. Xavier University for my bachelor's in business and marketing and uh, I was able to finish in two years so it was, I was probably at the on the line for between four to five years and i over that time, I was in the trim department, so I put on uh, B posts, uh, seat pillars, screwed in seat belts, door rubbers, all while studying while I was building cars. And um, it turns out that that's a really good way, very similar to like I was talking about dancing. It's kind of weird how life works. Sure. But I would read a paragraph at a time and I would do it 72 times an hour as I was building these cars and I just retained a ton of information. So I ended up graduating. St. Xavier Magna Cum Laude wow. with like one B in theology, which I grew up <laughs> Catholic, which is, which is uh, ironic. Ironic, yeah. And um, I took that opportunity to learn everything I, I could about uh, the plants. My dream was to stay at the plants and be a supervisor there. And because wow. I saw these guys walking around with walkie talkies and I was like, oh, I want to be, I want to be one of those guys. I just had a ton of ambition. And um after I finished my bachelor's degree, I started my master's at Illinois Institute of Technology and Industrial Engineering. And then one thing led to another, and I was creating these presentations. Um, so I booked time with the plant manager at the plant to show him uh, this PowerPoint I created regarding um, the, the Ford cars, the Ford 500, the Mercury Montego, and the Ford Freestyle that they were going to build. So I put down this marketing presentation. And he said, you'd be really good in the marketing sales division, but he didn't help me at all get there. Like he was just like, you should, you know, he was probably like, who is this kid that's scheduling a meeting with me? Right. Um, and that's why I always like, I always love to take meetings with anyone because I, that's what I did to like, just say, here's, here's me, here's who I am. And, um, one thing led to another and Ford had an opening for a marketing sales position. I couldn't technically apply for that position because I was a UAW employee. I ended up using someone else's name to apply for it. Um, in big, bold letters, I said it wasn't it wasn't that person. I said, this is, my name is Joe Chur. I technically can't apply for this because I don't have a Ford email. Right. So I'm a UAW assembly line worker. When I graduated, here's all my credentials. I want this job, I'll do good at it. And I ended up getting an, an interview and I got the, the job working at the Ford Marketing Sales Division. Um, that was a time in my life where it was early 2000s and one of my many roles at the job was to help dealerships with their internet processes and there wasn't really internet departments they were just kind of being created early right. 2000s think about it google was created in 98 right. so uh, it was the infancy of what it, what the internet is today um and uh, i would i'd have other responsibilities like wholesale and various things like that but i really got to understand dealers and uh and you know, my first zone, I called on 80 dealers, um, in outstate Wisconsin. And then that gradually grew into, uh, well, I moved into a Metro zone, they call it. And I called on 30 dealerships, um, really large dealers in the Chicago area and just got to understand their business. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun in 2010. I left that position 
Um, I had a couple promotions within there. Uh, won a couple really cool awards as uh, zone manager of the year for the for the region and uh, and national. Actually, it was like 2005 or 2006. Wow! And then um, <clears throat> was handed the keys as a general manager. I had an opportunity to leave. I thought I was going to be a car dealer and own a car dealership at some point in my life, and um, learned a ton about business. I thought I knew how car dealers operate, I know, I realized I had no idea. Um, being the Ford kind of, yeah. you know, factory guy I could go in and it's easy to point out everything that's wrong, but it's really hard to be in the, the mix of everything and, and make it happen. I can imagine. Yeah. And, uh, and did that for a few years and, and really that was, that was equally as hard as working on the assembly line, just in a different facet. But there's a lot of extraneous things in my life at that time. Um, I had a, debilitating back pain. So I had back surgery in 2009, um, a bunch of other things, uh, that just like weren't aligning with that role anymore. So I'm, I got with a friend of mine in the Chicago area here, John Hennessy of Riverview Ford. And I went to him and basically created a position for myself as a, um, as a, as an internet manager, like, cause I created these departments for him, right. um, to help him answer internet leads, drive SEO, uh, so search engine optimization, um, tactics, uh, to drive more traffic and leads to the websites. I built websites for them and just kind of rebuilt this or built this apartment from nothing. I shouldn't say rebuild. There was nothing there. And, and at that point that, that was not a, that's not a common position. I mean, it's still not a super common position at, at many dealerships, but it was at that starting, point that wouldn't have been super common, right? It was starting to get popular, but they, they weren't close to having like that position. Sure. I was just. You know, initially John and I got together because I had an idea for a business to generate leads and we would sell leads to dealers through SEO. Okay. And then when I dug into it a little bit, I was like, well, you need help. It doesn't matter what leads we're driving. Like you need help answering these. Mm -hmm. So, and that's when I really understood and learned about CRMs and how they work and, and just understand that side of the business well. Um, and then we ended up increasing leads or we ended up increasing internet sales by like 250 to 300% in wow. 2010. And, and, uh, ever since I was a kid, I was into computers, building Commodore 64s, like programs like Commodore 64s. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just kind of, everything kind of came together. And I, I met, uh, Matt Cole, who <laughs> sold me a website when I was at, uh, when I was a GM at the, at the other dealership I was mentioning. And, uh, and then we met another partner who had an advertising agency and we said, Hey, let's create launch digital marketing. And. That's what happened. That's how Launch was created. Do you know where the name Launch came from? No, I was just about to ask, <laughs> okay. actually. Okay. So Launch... I feel like I should know that, but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. So I don't know if anyone knows this. So when we were starting the business, I was I learned a lot of what I know through podcasts and books. And I was obsessed with this podcast called This Week in Startups because it had a lot of really good... Um, speakers there, entre entrepreneurs, um, folks that like the guy that uh, Matt Molinak, who mm -hmm. created WordPress, um, you know, and they would have people like Travis from Uber, but this was too early. Uber wasn't around then. And, and people like that, and you just learn to listen to their trials and tribulations and so forth. And um, they had this conference and he had just started up and it was for entrepreneurs called the launch conference. So oh, okay. I was driving one day and I was like, oh, what about launch digital marketing? And I was one of the name digital marketing in the name because I knew it would be very SEO friendly. Mm -hmm. So that's how that all came together. And then I went to my wife at the same time, dot co's, the TLD.co was becoming popular. And I bought the name digitalbusiness.co because I'm like, I can own digital business. Like, and so I went to my wife and I'm like, what name do you like better, launch digital marketing or digital business? And she's like, I like digital business because it shows exactly what it is. So I'm like... <laughs> Oh, damn, I like launch digital marketing. So, <laughs> so we just created a launch, and uh, and that was the beginning of you know what was today launch and now Dealer Inspire, and then Dealer Inspire was created at the end of 2012, 2013. To um, really, I, I just saw there's a big competitive threat against launch in terms of being able to do what we wanted to do to be a viable marketing company. So uh, Dealer Inspire was built to help cater to our clients, to give them the freedom and flexibility to have awesome websites. Mm -hmm. 
And I also thought about the fact that, well, once someone has the website, which is more of a utility than anything, right? I right. consider it like, it's like a mailbox, right? Everyone right. has to have one. Well, I guess you don't have to, but like you should have one, right? right. <laughs> to get mail. Um, but media isn't necessarily utility. You don't need it to survive. Right. You should have it. You should drive traffic to your website and so forth. So really, I thought the way to be a viable marketing agency is to have the glue of the website. And it, and it works. Essentially, it was our catalyst to drive more marketing business to launch. And that both businesses grew. Deal Inspire grew way faster than I had ever thought. In 2013, we had three employees, $300,000 in revenue lost money. I mean, this is another thing like people don't realize and I'm carrying on a lot here, but like the no, first okay. several years, I didn't even take a salary. Like I didn't take anything in the company. We lost money for Deal Inspire. And it's because it's a software system and you have to build that up before you start generating money. And um, that's just the way it was. Like you just have to make those those sacrifices. And, and over the years, Deal Inspire doubled, launched, doubled in growth in size. And I mean, you know this, when, when you started here, the company looks a lot different than it was and it constantly evolves. And today yeah. we have 500 employees. Um, we should, you know, we're going to be over, I don't know, 50% year over year growth right now, right now we're pacing at. So um, it's, it's been good. And we, and this year we were fortunate to sell the, to cars.com. Yeah. Which is, that has to be, I can't imagine, I've, I mean, I've never even started a company, but that's got to be thrilling. Um, and so I, you alluded to it a while back, but one of the other things I wanted to ask was, uh, you, you know, so you have that moment when you're in college and you find out you're going to be a dad, which is awesome, but I'm sure scary also. Um, I also have not experienced that yet, but so, you, you know, at the, at the time it's just sort of a you know, it's survival thing. You're just trying to get a job and then you end up learning an entire industry, um, from just needing to make ends meet. Yeah. Um, and then, and then it's, it seems like you, like you were interested in computers when you were younger and like you were used to working hard by this point. Uh, did you always, did you always feel like at some point you may end up being an entrepreneur or was that something you sort of discovered that you had, you know, a knack and a passion for at some point during that period or, you know, like how do you, where do you feel like that happened for you? So a few things I'll say to that. One is I think in my DNA, I'm lucky enough to have my great grandfather invented the hamburger patty machine. He invented the, that's the, yeah, the machine that presses hamburgers. Hang on. I had no idea. Yeah. That's incredible. How did I, Everyone should know that. I feel yeah. like I'll send a link to the story. But That's he, crazy. He invented that on the south side of uh, Chicago as well. That's and crazy. In 1929, during the Great Depression, he was molding hamburgers with his hands, and he said there has to be a better way to to create efficiency in, in making hamburger patties. Essentially, yeah. so he created this wooden contraption that ended up turning into a, a company that went public called Hollymatic. Hollymatic still around today. The, the since went private. Um, and so I think in my DNA, there's, there's this entrepreneurial spirit, if you will, which, which I think, I think is powerful. Like it's powerful to have that in your history. Right. So I would say I'm lucky in that regard. Sure. In the regard of, um, just, uh, just being able to figure things out or make an ends meet and, and driving forward, you know, I, was always putting in so much extra work. And I got to be careful how I say this because I would go home and not show my computer off until I fell asleep or my computer died every single night. And I would always do that on behalf of someone else. So I know at launch and DI, we all put in extra hours, but this was like, this was kind of crazy. Like sure. literally would, would be working at Ford Motor Company and would not stop. And my wife, one day she looked at me, she goes, why don't you put that effort into creating your own business? And it just like, it, like, uh, you know, a trigger went off and I was like, she's right. Like, what am I doing? And it was all things I knew I could do. Right. Like, especially right. when I was creating this business development center and I'm like, I have all of these 
assets and this history of working in the automotive space, um, and I understand digital marketing. Like, and then I was like watching experts and things like that. I'm like, I like I know more than these people do. Yeah, and uh, and that really helped me take the leap, just knowing that that was there and. And also creating a service business first. Like if it was, if it went straight from nothing to dealer inspired, it'd be a lot harder because again, I didn't pay myself anything for years. Right. Um, but having launched there as a service business um, really allowed us, you know, scalability in terms of when you get a few more clients, you hire a few more account managers, you hire mm-hmm. content people to write SEO and, and you can keep scaling a business really well like that with software. You don't know. Right. <laughs> you know, it's the world of the unknown, right? You, there's, and that's why a lot of most startups fail. Actually, right. that's so interesting. So, like, it's to me, it's always interesting to find out like where the spark was. Um, and it sounds like your your wife just kind of made an offhand comment, like she was she was probably just felt bad for you that you were <laughs> you were doing all that work and like you yeah. know you could be doing that for yourself. I think that's awesome um, that like you had somebody kind of behind was, you that. And it was years of it. And so then I just took that that same spirit and that same work ethic and I I transformed that and, and put that same effort into building the business. And much like the dance competition, I think we're I think part of our success is just outworking. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. like that means you have to put in 150 hours a week to be successful. As an as an entrepreneur as an entrepreneur, like there's no such thing as work-life balance. Right. I want to create my definition of success now is to create a, a, a company where you, you guys, like the team has the opportunity to have a really great job, but can turn it off at certain times. Right. That doesn't mean you're, there's not periods of working really hard, but you guys can turn it off and, and you know, life goes on. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I think when you look at the assembly plant, when the bell stops, you don't think about work. You're right. done. Like you're you're done being a robot for that day. Yeah. And I never want our team to feel like like they have to work twenty four seven. Right. Sure. They need that break. They need that mental break because it's healthy. Well, like I said, there's exceptions when there's tons of stuff going on and whatnot. Absolutely. And, and I'm always driving toward that because I also want to, you know, build a company that people are really can enjoy their life and they have a career here and they could just see themselves growing. Yeah. I, I mean, for my part, I'll say you've done a great job of that so far. Um, yeah, my time here has been great. I, I guess I should have said at the beginning of this podcast, I work for dealer inspire. <laughs> um, so Joe's my CEO. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think you're doing a good job of that so far. Um, it could so always be better, right? I mean, we're, we're learning and we're growing and we're not perfect at all. And when I look at, it's looking at data points to look at, okay, what are you guys spending your time on? That's that we can automate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like reporting, like, you know, now we're getting the weeds of like our, our issues here, but like, but like reporting, like, you know, how do we get reports to clients in an efficient way? And we, we build solutions for that. Right. And it's systematically tackle, tackling those things. So you guys don't have to spend time doing that. You spend mm-hmm. time doing something that's going to have more value to the clients and to the business. And yeah. And it essentially, alleviate some hours out of your day. Right. Which I think is what makes the difference to a lot of our, it just sounds like we're trying to sell our company now, but I think that's what makes the difference to a lot of our clients. Um, you know, cause we're, we're not a small company at this point, but I think we're still able to afford for the most part a boutique approach to our clients and strategy and things like that, which I think they appreciate as well. Yeah. Um, what I'm curious what the most surprising thing was for you building a company. I know it's, I know it's certainly not easy, but. So I would say there isn't like, there isn't like one thing that I would look at and say, wow, that is crazy surprising to me. There's a million little things. There is, there's an, there's a sense of, disconnect when the company gets really large right and it's it's and when i say disconnect that might be the wrong word but like i want the people that start here tomorrow to feel like they've been here since the beginning sure so the surprising part i would say is that although we have onboarding although we have managers it's like 
that doesn't get cascaded down as effectively as we need it to. Because I really believe we're a special organization here. We do some amazing things and, and we're able to accomplish these goals and, and have results that are really unprecedented, not in just our space, but in our, in our, in our industry, outside of our industry and so forth. And the reason why is because we have phenomenal people. It really comes down to people. Yeah, I'd agree. I just did a pitch the, the other day and they just said, what makes, what makes you different? I said, listen, I'm the founder of this company. I'm stand, standing right here in front of you. But it's not me, it's the people around me that really make this company what it is. And I stand by that. And I think I don't want that to get lost on the newer people or the people that have not been here that long and think we're just this big corporation and we're not, we're greedy and we don't have the best benefits and we don't do this. And, and, uh, and I get surprised sometimes when I hear feedback or I read feedback that that seems to go against those things, like meaning sure. like we're not trying to, or our benefits suck or like X, Y, and Z. <laughs> when I, I'm like, man, like we've, we did so much to try and give as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And when you read that stuff, you're just, you know, there's kind of, there's a sense of disappointment. Again, like when you're, when you're growing fast, you're going to have pains no matter what. Right. It's mitigating those pains and, creating solutions and getting a team around you to help solve them because the alternative is you're not growing fast. I firmly believe if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. Like as a business, like if you're not growing, it's really hard to sustain because there's a lot of external threats always. Mm -hmm. And we just haven't, we were so fortunate not to experience dips in growth and it's been, it's been great. And I, I firmly believe it's the people around us. Um, so I'd say, Say that those, you know, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but it's a great answer. That's that's kind of it in a nutshell. And then, really, like the other thing from a business point of view that is hard to see is that we were a bootstrapped company. So yes. we did all of this without really any funding. And when I say without really any funding, when Deal Inspire first started, I knew I needed to have some capital, but mm -hmm. I didn't have it. So we went to a, a dealer. Um, and uh, actually a Canadian dealer and raised a $300,000 convertible note, which is essentially like a, you know, a three-year loan, hmm. right? But that note can convert into stock or it can be paid back. <laughs> That's what a convertible note is. So, so we did that to, to get some funds. But when you're growing the business, there's a big difference between being profitable and having cash. Yes. And there's many times that... Um, you know, we were very profitable, but you got to think like we grew to the point where we had retail clients, meaning that we go to the, the dealerships around here and they were our, our client and we would send them a bill and that bill would get paid within 15 days. And that was cash in the bank. I hire Josh. I can pay Josh from that cash. Right. Sure. So we had, you know, a thousand of those clients and then all of a sudden we get approved with an OEM. We send now the bill to the OEM. The OEM pays us in four months, not 15 days. Okay. We also, when you look at Google advertising spend, which hopefully the audience understands what that is. Right. The Google advertising spend, the cash of that was applied on the client's credit cards because they liked to have the spend on their cards because they could earn points for it because they were paying for it anyway. Sure. Well, when you're in OEM programs, you have to absorb all of that cash. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to have the client put the cash on their card. So now Google sent you a nice invoice at the end of the month as well. So, so over the course of the last three years, we went from zero OEM programs to 20. Which is awesome. Which is phenomenal. That's, it's it good for sustainability. So cool. But if you think about cash yeah. and what you need to run a business, yeah. take now take all of that money. So now let's say half the business today, I don't know the exact number right now, but half the business, let's say it's, it's um, based on the OEM revenue. Well, that cash now is coming four months later than the retail cash, half the business. Yep. But I can't go to, to Josh and say, hey, Josh, I'm going to not pay you for four months just because I'm in this position. So a surprising thing is, and I wouldn't say surprising, it's surprising how stressful it is, sure. is managing cash flow of the business is much harder than what you would think it is. 
because you could look at a spreadsheet or a PL and say, oh, yeah, we made money this year. Yeah. But you look at the burn rate of, of cash and it's, you can be losing money. Yeah. Now, luckily, we managed that, but that's one of the really great things about being acquired by cars.com is when I look at the stresses that I had in the business, that was one of my focuses is focusing on like eventually I would have to raise money. Right. And, and with cars.com, now we have the capital behind us to grow the business faster. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. I, I just want to point out, this is a free podcast and I feel like everybody listening just got like a crash course in, <laughs> uh, business startups. So yeah. that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, that's something I, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I think I've thought of. Um, obviously you, you run into that, like once you start a business, the difference between cash on hand and being profitable. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, and then it, by the way, if you're profitable, then you've got to pay tax on that profitability. Right. And that takes more cash out of the business that you might not have. So right. it's this, it's really hard to, to start business and sustain it to 500 people. Yeah. For all those reasons. I, I think I told you last time we met, I, I don't think I have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. Um, that may be not true. I, I just haven't found a thing that I would like to start on my own yet. Uh, but I, I definitely admire people that do. Um, cause I, like you said, I think there is something in the DNA, but I think it is just a lot of really hard work that I think most people aren't willing or just don't have interest to, to put in. So I, I definitely admire that for sure. Thank you. Um, what, so, so you, you, Started a business in 2011, 2011, uh, and we're now in 2018, 500 plus employees, thousands of clients, over 2,000 clients at the moment, I think. Uh, 2,700. Okay, almost 3,000. That's awesome. So what, for you personally, what do you feel like is, is next for you? So for me personally, it is, one, I want to help our leaders grow under me like one of the things that I think is a tale of success is having the business run without the leader there and that's just not the CEO that's each department right, right. that means the processes are dialed in that means everyone knows their role that means people can step up and my goal is to get the company to a place where it can run as if I'm not here not that I'm going anywhere but that just means that it's a well-run company and with the growth and with a lot of changes that's becoming more difficult. The bigger mm -hmm. you get, the harder that is. So, so my personal goal is to, to get closer to that, <clears throat> that coming to fruition sure. and to helping our leaders manage their departments. Um, the goal for the company, you know, I was, work, we were working on the vision statement last week and it's, we want to be the central platform provider. And what I mean by that is we're not a website company. We're a technology company and we want to connect the dots uh, across all our products to essentially provide extreme value to the end client. And, you know, today that's the dealership. Um, I imagine that's going to be the dealership for a long time, but mm -hmm. could it be someone else on top of that possibly? And really provide data intelligence to help them run their business and help their consumers buy vehicles. So being a very consumer focused product, but also providing data and recommendations to help dealers provide the most values possible, make their dollars go as far as possible. And when you look at the businesses that do well, that you can't live without, we want to be that business. We don't want to be the business that you're frustrated with because you have to have like right. cable or the internet or something like that. We want to be the ones that you look forward to working with, but to be essential. So, we're, I'm working toward building a team to have to really to kind of take that vision and make it a reality. Yeah. And the great thing is we have a head start in that we have an unbelievably awesome messaging platform that we built years ago. We built digital retailing. We were the pioneers in that space. Digital retailing is for the audience, you know, helping a consumer buy a vehicle online. Right. We have a, a really nice, uh, uh, paid search platform called Fuel that Mark Damon helped create a few years back. So we have all of these pieces that are starting to connect together 
And once they do, it's going to create a platform that's going to be really hard to compete against because anyone can, anyone can convince a dealership that they need a different website or they need a different chat tool mm -hmm. or they need a different paid search company. But it's really going to be really tough to compete with the platform because all these parts that are connected that have been built over the last five years it takes a lot of learning and a lot of gotchas to, to get to where we're at. Right. And I think we're not even, we're just skimming the surface of where we're going. Yeah. So the idea there is to just be the end to end solution for, for any dealer, really. I mean, any business, but any dealer, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, first so touch point with their customer all the way through, you know, yep. giving proactive recommendations <laughs> by role. So a salesperson comes in, here's the, top 10 things you should do today, not based on last in first out leads. It's based right. on very intelligent approach of all the data points that we've collected through Roxanne, our event-based attribution um, platform through uh, cars.com data, et cetera, et cetera. Then a sales manager would be able to get an overview on a daily basis of Hey, here's what my team needs to do to, and here's how I need to hold them accountable. And then a dealer principal might get a notification to say, here's how, here's the things you should do from a, from your level to manage your business. And I think once we do that and it's based on AI and all the intelligence that we're building toward, it's just going to be amazing because it's, it's going to help them sell and service more vehicles by, and give the consumer a very seamless experience and, because of that, we'll, we will be the essential platform provider. And that's really the, the goal. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, all right. I have two more questions for you. Sure. Um, uh, so the, the next one may tie into the last question, which you know, is what, what's next for you. But what do you, um, I, I just always like to get an idea from people I admire. Like what, what fulfills you? Like what do you find is like your, you, you feel like you are in the zone? I love working toward a big goal, like the dance competition would be an example of that. Um, now it's working toward product goals and um, and setting my mind to something like that, creating a plan to achieve it, getting a, in a flow state and really going after it. Um, that per, That's personally what fulfills me. Also, I love it when I see leaders grow and I love when people step up to the plate and do things that are not asked of them that is really exciting so I think part of you know up until now a lot of my job as a CEO was getting to the business to the place it is today now it's helping leaders get to where they need to be to take the business forward yeah right and I and that's what I'm really excited about for the future and what's what fulfills me um, also personally uh, you know I I have two other kids in addition to my, my daughter from the story earlier is uh, going to be 20 in less than a month, actually a month from today. And my, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, my six-year-old is on the autism spectrum. So watching him grow, uh, but also watching him struggle a bit yeah. um, and trying to do as much for him as possible and to see him hit milestones is really fulfilling for me as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And beyond that, it's just, you know, it's, uh, like you, I'd like to play guitar a bit yeah. when I can and, um, starting to, to pick up golf a little more. If it fills me when I hit a good shot. Sure. <laughs> sure. It's nice when Which you can play rare. and the, yeah. the whole day's not filled with just cursing, you know, when, when you get at least yeah. one or two. I haven't had that yet, but I assume <laughs> it'll happen if I practice. Enough. I haven't had that often. I'll, I'll say, um, all right. So my last question for you, um, I'd love to do this again, by the way, at some point, maybe down the road, because you, you've said a lot of things that I'd love to follow up on. Um, so like maybe we could like do another one later Anytime. on, but, um, my last question for you is the question I ask everybody, uh, on the podcast, the podcast is called good humans. Um, and so the question I like to ask, this isn't like a put you on the spot question. It is a big question though. Uh, what do you feel like being a good human is? What does that look like in the world? Um, and how do you personally, how do you feel like you're, you're going about that? So I've always believed that 
being a good human or or being the being a person it, it's all about character and I, my, I define character as doing the right thing when no one's looking so I, and I've always I've always operated like that I don't know any other way so it's it's really hard for me to look at a, a different viewpoint giving to others is so crucial and I think honestly like when I look at my life now I would say I'm a lucky guy I have a great family I'm in a, I have a great company. I'm surrounded by great people. I'm very fortunate. Um, and I truly believe that a lot of that was created just because I, I have done good things in the world, right? But I never wanted anything in return. Like that's the other, that's the kind of conundrum there, right? You can't expect that you're going to get something back when you do good. And, um, it's just something, it's a philosophy and it's just a way of life that you you don't really need to think about it. If if someone's struggling to get in a door, you run and you hold it open for them. Sure. Right? If they're carrying bags or something like you, like it's it needs to be in your DNA and your, and I think because of that, like good things start to happen because people see that you're going to help them, right? Um, Zig Ziglar, I used to read uh, his books like when I was a Ford rep and I, I actually got audio tapes from a Ford dealer. And one of the things he said is if you, to help, to get what you want, help others get what they want. That's a good philosophy in life, but I think inherently you need to want to do that without expecting anything else in return. But I think what Zig meant with that is things just find a way of happening then. Sure. If you, if you do good and you be a good human. So my advice is help others, give back to the community. I know it may sound cliche, but it's true. Um, and then truly just look at the small things that, that you can do for other people. Cliches are, are cliche for a reason, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, they're true. I, there's another speaker that I follow named Rob Bell. Um, he has a podcast as well, but he, along the lines of what you were saying, he would say, you know, just participate in creating the type of world that you would want to live in, um, which I think totally lines up with what you're saying. So... Yeah. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think that's, that's all the time we have today, but I, I so appreciate you taking time to do this. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to, to maybe do a follow up at some point. Um, but yeah, I, I think this has been really, really good. Uh, hopefully this has been helpful for the listeners as well. So I appreciate yeah. it. Well, Hey, thanks for having me. It's, um, doing this by the way is very entrepreneurial. Okay. <laughs> if you think about what you're doing. <laughs> And then, you know, you get enough visitors, you monetize it. Of course yeah. you can, you know, and, and get sponsors and whatnot. Speaking but, of, we just recently got sponsored by Audible. So, um, yeah, I'll be I'll be putting that in in post. But Look at that. Yeah. And you're not an entrepreneur. See? Um, but you're falling into something that you're passionate about, right? You're doing true, this for yeah. fun. So, um, so I think that's that's great. And, that, and, you know, that's another key to, to this whole thing. Like, if you... Life's too short. Like, do something that that's inspired you. Yeah, I would agree. All right, um, listeners, that's all we got time for today. But uh, I appreciate you listening. And uh, until next time, be good to each other. <laughs>